Alright. So let me tell you what just struck me. Because um, the song, lots of things strike me, but... Uh, no lie you won't tear down. Coming after me. But I think the most powerful lies are the ones we tell about ourselves. Like, I, I tell myself lies. Those are the ones I think God needs to tear down. Sometimes it's lies other people tell about us, uh, too, and those need to be teared, torn down and destroyed and replaced with God's love. So I'm in the series on the book, Jesus is the Question. Uh, if you're interested in getting it, I recommend it. I think you can get it for like 10 bucks on Amazon. Um, it was actually recommended to me uh, by Steve Tollefson, my, uh, my pastor, mentor, and guru. Um, I want to be like Steve when I grow up. So I'm always appreciative of that. And it has turned out to be a, a, great, a great read. I won't cover every chapter, but we will cover about 10 of them. And in the end, the thesis of the book is something like this. We are a culture that wants answers. I certainly do. I want to know the right answer. I want you to just give me a simple, like, if I'm a great, like, number two. You give me a list of things to do, I'll get it done, man. You give me, I'll check them off. There is no better rush in my life than checking off a to-do list. Oh, yes. I want to just know what's, like, give me black and white, clear it up for me, clear up your language, tell me what you expect, I'll do it. That's what we want. And this is what happens in Christianity. So what you end up with is like these really complicated questions about faith or the Trinity or pain and suffering or why in the world would God have to die to forgive any of us? Because I don't need blood to forgive any of you. Why does God need it, right? We have all these complicated questions and what we want to boil that down to and what the church often does is a clear set of answers. Well, let me tell you, Philippians says this. Oh, well, in Exodus 28, that'll answer your question. And we immediately go to like a three-sentence response that for me almost always feels totally unsatisfying. But I'm supposed to be satisfied by it. Fortunately, Jesus doesn't ever do that. I don't know how we got into the habit of doing it because Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus asks in these, in, right, right, the Gospels are not long and most of them are repetitive. In this short span, Jesus asks 307 questions. He has asked 183 questions. He directly answers three of them. Almost every other question, he answers with a question. He answers by telling a story. He engages you in a way that doesn't just tell you the checklist, doesn't give you a clear set of answers, doesn't just say, oh, well, you should read Leviticus. He demands something of his listeners. He says, Let's, let, why don't we have a dialogue? Oh, you have a question. That's great. I've got one for you. Or ten. <laughs> then you have to lean in. If I ask a question, you have to lean forward. You have to start thinking. It demands that we become critical thinkers. It demands that, uh, that we don't settle for some easy solution, but that we become personally engaged in a relationship with God, with the text. It means your answer doesn't necessarily have to be my answer. That what moves you isn't necessarily what moves me. That's okay. 
I mean, it makes us feel insecure, which is why we have this strong inclination to force everyone into a particular creed so we all believe the same thing. That will make us feel better, but it's not what Jesus does. At no point does he tell his disciples, this, the, here's the list of things you have to affirm in your beliefs. He says, follow me. Live with me. Love like me. We're going to live into this salvation together and it's not going to look the same for everyone. That's what questions do. There's a freedom in questions. There's a challenge in questions. And I think what Jesus wants really deeply is for us to engage. So today's question comes from Luke chapter 7. And in fact, it's interesting because we read this on Palm Sunday. So we're going to look at this from a slightly different angle today. One of the Pharisees invited Jesus to eat with him. After he entered the Pharisee's home, he took his place at the table. Meanwhile, a woman from the city, a sinner, discovered that Jesus was dining in the Pharisee's house. She brought perfumed oil in a vase made of alabaster, standing behind him, at his feet and crying, which in itself is interesting. Like just, just in the presence of Jesus, just, just crying, right? Something is distressing her. She begins to wet Jesus' feet with her tears. She wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured oil on them. When the Pharisee who invited Jesus saw what was happening, he said to himself, If Jesus were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman was touching him. He would know that she is a sinner. Jesus turned to the woman and said to Simon, Simon, do you see this woman? Do you really see this woman? When I entered your home, you didn't give me water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss, but she hasn't stopped kissing my feet since I came in. You didn't anoint my head with oil, but she has poured perfumed oil on my feet. This is why I tell you that her many sins have been forgiven, for she has shown great love. Do you see this woman? Clearly Simon does not. What Simon sees is a sinful woman. We read in the book of Mark and the book of John, Judas is upset because the perfume is worth a year's wage. What Judas sees is a sinful woman because she's wasteful. She doesn't use the money to help the poor as she should. We learn in the book of John that this woman gets a name. It's Mary, not Mary Magdalene, not Mary the mother of Jesus, Mary the sister of Martha. Do you remember the story of Mary and Martha where Jesus is going to come to their house and Martha's like the type A, running around getting everything cooked perfectly, cleaned. Oh, it's got to be just right. And Mary's like sitting at his feet. And then Martha's like, Jesus, why don't you tell my sister to get off her lazy behind and help me, right? Oh, wait, I'm sorry. <laughs> I should probably have a British voice for Martha too. Too late. <laughs> so Martha's upset because Mary's lazy, not doing her business, like not, not taking care of what she should. So Mary can't win, man. No one sees her. She's a sinner. She's wasteful. She's lazy. Everyone's got a category for her and no one sees her except Jesus. Because when Jesus looks at us, 
He sees right through to our backbone. Sees all of us, every bit. And loves us, right? Couldn't love us more. So no one sees Mary. She's sort of alone. Rejected. Judged. Part of the problem with being human is that this comes too easily for us. My brain is a judgment-making machine. I can't turn it off. Right? I'm labeling and classifying things all day long, all the time. And it doesn't have to be like judgment on humans. It's just whatever. I mean, I, you see someone, they look a particular way. Oh, they must be rich. I wonder if they live in this neighborhood. Oh, they're a lawyer. I have a certain set of assumptions. My brain is just churning all the time. I want to make sense of my world. You want to make sense of your world. And so we are always doing this, right? Oh, they're extroverted. They're an eight on the Enneagram. Oh, they're this, they're that. We love this stuff. Oh, I'm a seeker in the strengths finders or whatever, right? We want to have labels and definitions and categories and we do it automatically. But somehow this levels people. This, this like flattens our reality. Uh, Jean-Paul Sartre, a French philosopher, he talks about thinking often getting in the way of experience, of existence. I don't encounter the uniqueness of my experience. I encounter a label or category that I've given to my experience. So I know when it's happened to me, right? Um, as someone who teaches philosophy at a Christian university, we inevitably have students that struggle with their faith. It's the time in your life when you're young and you, the, the answers you were given in youth group don't work anymore and you've come up against a bit of pain or whatever it might be and suddenly there are big questions about whether or not you're really a Christian and do you believe in God at all. And So often professors are trying to help students through that, right? But the perception from many parents or donors or pastors in the area is that we're a bunch of liberal professors. I don't know how liberal just becomes like the bad word for every, every adjective is just you're liberal. Liberal professors crushing students' faith. My son or daughter lost their faith because of your class or whatever. And what's crazy is I'll, I'll be engaged in these conversations and it's obvious that they have a preconception of who I am or what I do or what I believe or how I teach or what my goals are typically to like undermine the United States or Christianity or whatever. Like, like I've got an agenda that wants to do that. And, what's, what, and this is hard, right? It's hard for me to, 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 to like feel that, the weight of that. When I know I shed so many tears for the students who sit across and they can't bring themselves to believe, like they wish they could believe and they can't. And I'm trying all, my, all the tricks I can to say, well, maybe we could do it this way or maybe you could try it that way. And what I want is for them to have a deep relationship with God. I care deeply about their soul, their salvation, their life, their relationship to God. But none of that is seen. Do you see this man? Nope. I'm invisible. Again, in the climate we live in, you know this is true as soon as someone finds out who you voted for. They don't see you. They see some set of stereotypes about that political party. Do you see this woman? I think often we live in the world of the abstract category. We'd rather talk about 
immigration as an abstract concept or those that are imprisoned, right? And we create these categories and these labels that make sense to us. CPS calls, social worker, whatever it is, right? Uh, divorcee, we have these things and we treat them like issues, but that means we actually don't see the people struggling with, these, with their lives, right? Like it's very different to look at a human person who's been incarcerated, who has a name and a story and a history and desires and fears. That changes everything. Do you see this woman? Some see a sinner or someone who's wasteful or someone who's lazy, but no one sees Mary except Jesus. And that's what transforms her life. So I'm going to issue a couple of challenges. Here, challenge number one. Start asking more questions. So you have many interactions with family, friends, neighbors. Ask questions. Good questions. Because if you want to actually know the person, you want to see the person, it's not going to happen from you making every story about yourself or uh, laughing and talking about the weather. It's going to come from asking real questions of each other. Two, send me questions. You got my email, you got my phone number, you can text them. What questions do you have? I'm not even suggesting I'm going to answer them. I don't know. I, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to send you three questions back. <laughs> But I bet you have questions and you don't have anyone else to send them to. Well, then you can send them to me. Three. What would it be like to let the people in your life surprise you so that Nina didn't become the nice one and Sullivan didn't become the extroverted one and Kelly became the flighty one and what if, what if Nina got to surprise me? What if she was different than the label that I give her, the labels that I have for her? What would it be like for Kelly to surprise me and me to let that happen? Because she's probably different than whatever abstraction I've created of her. Do I see her? Or have I filtered that reality through all of my preconceptions and past experiences? I wonder if we have the room in our faith to let God surprise us to be other than what we think, to show up in new ways. You talk about someone who constantly gets labeled as God. He's got to be really frustrated. I just have to deal with like liberal professor. God's got to deal with how many different labels, right? But we don't actually set God free from our categories. We don't let God be alive, dynamic, transcendent, holy other ready to set our lives on fire. We don't let that happen. That's, that's dangerous. That like lets God have claws. I'd much rather have one defanged, declawed. So let's let the people in our lives surprise us in ways we never thought possible. Let's break all of the abstract notions we have and start to deal with the actual concrete person in front of us. Because that's the only person you can love. They come to Jesus and they say, Oh, Jesus, who is my neighbor? I know I'm supposed to love my neighbor. Who is that? What does Jesus do? 
tells a story about a man going down to Jericho. Do you see that man? That's the only one you can love. I want to tell you that I love humanity. I don't even know what that would mean. I love everyone? What does that mean? Only the ones I see, really see, only the concrete people in front of me can I love. And that's the challenge. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for continually asking us challenging questions. Thank you for withholding easy answers. I pray that we would have the courage to engage you in a dialogue, in a relationship where we ask questions of you and you ask questions of us. I pray that we would take that to our relationships in this world and that we would learn how to truly see one another. That I would learn how to see myself beyond the labels I've given myself, right? The labels that says Joe is irresponsible, the labels that say Joe doesn't do enough, the labels I have for myself, let me get rid of them and see myself the way you see me. Help us to do it for the people in our lives and Lord, mostly help us to do it for you. Do you see this woman? Oh Lord, that you would give us your eyes. Amen. Please stand for our closing song.